Flyover Politic Podcast, the show for normal Americans. From this undisclosed bunker, here's your host, Tony Reed. He is an illegitimate president in my mind. That's it. I, I think all the talk about impeachment and what the Democrats should do, that's fine. It's theoretical at this point. Let them investigate. Let them subpoena. Let them go to the Supreme Court. He's illegitimate. And my Let us acknowledge today, as I conclude, I want to acknowledge our fallen heroes of that day. U.S. Capitol Police Officer Brian Sicknick, U.S. Capitol Police Officer Howard Livingood, Metropolitan Officer Jeffrey Smith, U.S. Capitol Police Officer Billy Evans of a later assault. Now I ask all members to rise for a moment of silence in their memory. What the Republicans are doing across the country is really a a legislative continue, continuation of what they did on January 6th, which is to undermine our democracy, to uh, undermine the integrity of our elections, uh, to uh, undermine the, uh, the, the voting power, which is the essence of a democracy. To begin uh, the conversation, we're privileged to have a contribution from one of the great creative talents of our time, Lin-Manuel Miranda. May his beautiful words be an inspiration to us. Among the words he said and in the music, we'll make it right for you. If we lay a strong enough foundation, we'll pass it on to you and we'll give the world to you. Lin-Manuel and his father and the, the uh, Hamilton singers whom we'll hear from said that they were all very honored to be asked to participate today call your attention to a new year brings hope for the future senator Moore. and that we have to ensure january 6th doesn't mark the end of democracy but the beginning of a renaissance for our democracy where we stand up for the right to vote and have that vote counted fairly uh, not undermined by partisans afraid of who you voted for or try to reverse an outcome i would also well, we are working, there are constant meetings, and not just among a few senators, but just about every senator, every single one of the 50, is talking individually to Joe Manchin, to Kirsten Cinema, And they're saying things like, I'll lose my election if the legislature is allowed to do this in my state. We'll lose our majority, but- Like, for real. Oh, I'm at too many K, bro. You know, I'm just get on news, baby. Y'all are super thirsty for this shit.
I gotta go. But boy, anyway, the train is moving. Look at what they value and look at their budget and what they're proposing. Romney wants to let the, he said in the first hundred days, he's gonna let the big banks once again write their own rules. Unchain Wall Street. They're gonna put y'all back in chains. The senator from Arkansas. Right now, we are on the precipice of a constitutional crisis. We're about to step into the abyss. I want to talk for a few minutes why we're on that precipice and why we're looking into that abyss. Let me first ask a fundamental question. What is the crisis that calls for the undoing of two centuries of tradition? He better not utter the not one quote from the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Not one or any of his colleagues and contemporaries as we come up on his birthday on Saturday and the national celebration on Monday. This is, these people are cowards. They are soulless cowards to hold up a daggone rule. Filibuster is a rule. Here's one thing every senator, every American should remember. History has never been kind to those who've sided with voter suppression over voters' rights. And it'll be even be less kind for those who side with election subversion. So I ask every elected official in America, how do you want to be remembered? At consequential moments in history, they present a choice. Do you want to be the side on the side of Dr. King or George Wallace? Do you want to be on the side of John Lewis or Bull Connor? And welcome back to Flyover Politic Podcast. It is the 15th. Woohoo! And I forgot the light again. Of January, year of our Lord, 2022. What a good intro, huh? God, we've just had a whole bunch of crazy going on. Just a bunch of crazy. My favorites, and and I'm taking a, a, a tip from a new listener, Brooke in Tennessee, to try to shorten up my intro. Uh, it, it is a big long, but uh, there you have the the silliness from January 6th and, you know, bringing on Hamilton and Falky calling a guy a moron and uh, her getting up there with her eyebrows and Pisaki lying over and over and over and Schumer letting the truth get out that it's not about the Constitution. It's not about we're going to lose democracy. It's we're all going to lose. That That's the problem they're having. You got Tom Cotton doing one of the greatest speeches I've ever seen on the floor of the House, and that's literally reciting Chuck Schumer's words. Those are the things they just said. You got Nina Turner. They're so pissed they can't get their way that, you know, this is now a war with the left. It's not a war of the right and the left. It's the left with the left, and they're just pissed off. And then Mr. Put him back in chains. That, that's that's what we got there because we have just gone off the fucking rails. Uh, some of the stuff I'm not going to be able to hit, all of it. Um, it's too long because I took too long to do a show. Um, it's, I, I just, once again, I want to hit the things up front before we start the show because we're going to cover a lot of fascism today. Election integrity is a big thing. GOP is the enemy. 
uh, media January 6th coverage, SCOTUS because they didn't get their way. I do not know if I'm going to play Biden's speech because it is just something I want to talk about because I just can't believe a president said that shit. And that nobody in the media, once again, could fix it. But I want to make sure we understand things because as of this podcast today, uh, people have actually been arrested for insurrection. They were moving heavy weapons and CNN was talking very breathless. Because the far left was pushing the DOJ, you've got to do something because to the point, everybody's going, this is bullshit. This wasn't an insurrection. Most American people know it's not an insurrection because you didn't call this an insurrection. So when the governor locked the public out during their attack on collective bargaining, I threw open the doors of the Capitol and I led the resistance from my office. And so now the crowd is chanting, let us in, let us in. Let us in. 
And yes, that was literally uh, the 17th of January, or back in 2017, excuse me. That was many times Democrats have attacked things. That is literally my shit's crooked as hell. How the hell did that happened? Maybe that's better. Looks better, yeah. That was Justin Whit Jessica Whitmer literally talking about how she stormed the Capitol. And we covered on this show how anti mass people who got permits and were authorized to come on the Capitol carrying weapons because it's an open carry state, Michigan. They were terrorists, but she kicked down the door. And then we had a president go out and say this. We talked about up in the Congress and the White House the event coming up shortly to celebrate Dr. King's birthday. And Americans of all stripes will praise him for the content of his character. But as Dr. King's family said before, it's not enough to praise their father. They even said on this holiday, don't celebrate his birthday unless you're willing to support what he lived for and what he died for. The next few days, when these bills come to a vote, will mark a turning point in this nation's history. We will choose. The issue is, will we choose democracy over autocracy, light over shadows, justice over injustice? I know where I stand. I will not yield. I will not flinch. I will defend the right to vote, our democracy against all enemies, foreign and, yes, domestic. And the question is, where will the institution of the United States Senate stand? Every senator, Democrat, Republican, and Independent will have to declare where they stand, not just for the moment, but for the ages. Will you stand against voter suppression? Yes or no? That's the question they'll answer. Will you stand against election subversion? <clears throat> yes or no? Will you stand for democracy? Yes or no? And here's one thing every senator, every American should remember. History has never been kind to those who've sided with voter suppression over voters' rights. And it will be even be less kind for those who side with election subversion. So I ask every elected official in America, how do you want to be remembered? At consequential moments in history, they present a choice. Do you want to be the side, on the side of Dr. King or George Wallace? Do you want to be on the side of John Lewis or Bull Connor? Do you want to be on the side of Abraham Lincoln or Jefferson Davis? This is the moment to decide to defend our elections, to defend our democracy. <clears throat> and if you do that, you will not be alone. That's because the struggle to protect voting rights has never been borne by one group alone. 
We saw freedom riders of every race, leaders of every faith marching arm in arm. And yes, Democrats and Republicans in Congress of the United States and in the presidency. I did not live the struggles of Douglas, Tubman, King, Lewis, Goodman, Cheney, Swerner, countless others, known and unknown. The party that did this. The party that did this, that stole an election, used the filibuster 309 times in one year. I was wrong on that quote. That was just what they did under Trump. They used the filibuster. How is that kind of rhetoric okay? He got some pushback in the media, but not a whole hell of a lot because they're they were too busy being excited. It's the Super Bowl. They go all out. Uh, fucking the amount of time they spent on this is just fucking insane. Remarks about denouncing Republicans as the only party delegitimizing elections. January 6th being the moral question of our time. It was all downhill as he implied the right could carry out a new and more violent political era painted opposite Opposition to Democratic proposals on voting and dangerous compared to January 6th, September 11th, 2001. And just, and and that was just in the first 15 minutes. See more from Ducapool and his CBS colleagues. Check out Scott Whitaker's wrap up here. Uh, all told, there were only three blocks that didn't have January 6th. This is CBS. And one of the early redeeming moments, new CBS congressional correspondent Scott McFarland acknowledged in the 8 a.m. half hour, the Republican pushed back to jailhouse conditions, those charged in the riot, and so the partly party had also been critical of the Justice Department of going harder. They agree on January 6th defendants on those who arrested racial unrest. NBC wasn't any different. CNN spends nearly three times more on January than the economy, and they haven't stopped because I listen every morning at work. 33% of the country approves of this guy. I don't have a slide. Because New York Times is running this kind of tripe. 33%. And a lot of it's based on just recent performance, what he's doing. Biden's approval crashes 33 and 53% of Americans disapprove. And another dire poll for president, while nearly 60% fear democracy is in danger of collapse. And this is the part that nobody wants to talk about. Their bullshit rhetoric has gotten people so scared. The nightly news, 80% of it was January 6th, where they literally covered nothing for the riots that lasted longer and were worse. Look at Rediscovers as Fighting Spirit. The media was so fired up. CNN, MSNBC spend over 1,600 minutes marking January 6th. The two far-left channels spent 1,653 minutes marking the occasion and demonizing all 75 million-plus Trump voters, with the formal total clocking at 1,653 minutes and two seconds and translating to 27 hours, 33 minutes and two seconds. MSNBC was 838 minutes and 33 seconds 
because they wanted to beat CNN. They were at 814 minutes and 29 seconds. That says it all. The funniest part, though, is Fox beat them in all the polls because nobody wants to watch this shit because most Americans, 60% of them, as polls say, believe it was just a riot that got out of hand. These fucking people are out of control. They're just out of control. They're just out of control. That's his approval rating. Let me blow this up. This is just people don't care about January 6th. People don't think it's the worst thing. They just don't believe it. And they're burying the polls. Their own polls show it was just a protest. That went too far. That's all it was. Here's just a taste of the media on their January 6th craziness. I am Republican, the media jerk off of the week. This was the speech, as Chuck says, he had to give. And I think by rising above specific legislative disagreements, he makes what they call partisan, the critics, nonpartisan. The election, the peaceful transfer of power. And I'll tell you this, if you think that speech was partisan, then you believe the former president's lies. It's only a partisan speech if you think there's somehow an, a, an, a truthful dispute here. Uh, if you're pro-democracy and pro-America, it is hard to look at that speech and say, oh, it's politically skewed. I don't think that there's anyone our viewers hold more responsible for everything they didn't like about the Bush era foreign policy. And but Dick Cheney was the only person other than his daughter to show respect building. America was attacked a year ago today. And in that building where the attack went down, what happened? other than Liz Cheney was in the building, it was Dick Cheney. That's how bad the Republicans are, Claire. Liz Cheney, I think, has is out to is is out to change the Republican Party in a fundamental way, where she says anybody who's with Donald Trump, anybody who says that who adheres to the big lie, all of those people are not real Republicans. The the future of the country is at stake right now. There's no question about it. What he said is, what kind of a nation are we going to be? Joe Biden needed to deliver a powerful statement about democracy today. This was. FDR after Pearl Harbor. This is Lyndon Johnson after Selma. This is George W. Bush after 9-11. And the what-ifs are only if they don't do anything on voting rights. Because of all of these moves in the states, Christian, towards nullifying voting, not just suppressing the vote, making it harder to vote, but actually changing the secretaries of state and the officials who would be choosing, you know, who decides. The elections, the state elections, we saw what could happen in Georgia, and also the presidential election, the electors. Yamiche Alcindor, now you had uh, the NAACP, Derek Johnson, and other leaders on a virtual call, uh, Reverend Al Sharpton, yesterday with key members of the 
because they believe, and we heard this passionate appeal from, of course, Senator Warnock the other night, mm. uh, that, that if you can change it for the debt ceiling, which is important, which he voted for, but he said you know, to Rachel Maddow that it was a real moral dilemma for him to vote for the debt ceiling and do that workaround, yet they can't do it to save the democracy and save minority voting. But let me tell you why this matters. Um, the asymmetry has always been what advantages the Trump right more than anything else. And the asymmetry of saying F you to a sitting president on a call in front of your four kids. Don't look past this. Don't look at this as a story about giving airtime to a MAGA guy who goes on Steve Bannon's podcast and said, I wasn't joking. Not only did I say F you, Mr. President, I said more than that. This is the slow motion insurrection, Jason, in, in full color. Oh, Michael, I want to get your reaction to, there was an ABC Ipsos poll that showed that only 20% of the public are confident in our country's elections. Now, that probably reflects the residual, you know, big lie, you know, feeling among many Republicans who follow Donald Trump on, you know, the Democratic left, the feeling that all these states are changing voting laws. And so there's no confidence that legitimate balloting won't be altered by Republican, newly elected or appointed Republican officials. Yeah, totally. I mean, I, I don't overstate, as I think you'll attest, Andrea, our democracy is in jeopardy this year. If we have voting laws change in these states so that some part overrule the will of the voters and say we're going to install, install someone in office, he claim was elected, we know he really wasn't, then the power of the ballot and of elections is gone and the fundamental cornerstone of democracy is gone and we will not have a democracy possibly for our lifetimes. That's it seems as if everything the Republicans are doing, whether it's not properly protecting you against COVID, whether it's not properly protecting you against insurrection, whether it's not properly protecting you against tyranny, whether it's not properly protecting you against voting rights, um, I, there seems to be this kind of real opportunity for the Democrats to say, we are here to protect every aspect of your life, including your health and including democracy and everything in between. But to block the, the John Lewis Voting Rights Act, to, to, again, to stand in the schoolhouse door and stop mm -hmm. other people from voting for you. Republicans have figured something out that the more free we are, more people are allowed to vote. The more people of color that are allowed to vote, they can't win elections anymore. That Texas, in an election or two, will no longer be a red state. The only way they can win now is prevention or lying. That's it. The number, the country is moving away from them. They don't. They have. There's no game. There's no answer other than let's not play fair. Let's cheat. Let's block. So this is in that same playbook of. Mm. We can't win anymore as the, as the face of this country changes, as the diversity in this country becomes, by the year 2040, that there will be more non-whites in this country than whites. This is just a simple function of that, and it's... I mean, if you talk to experts who, are, who have seen and studied democracy for decades, that's what they would say. They would say this is a paradigm that needs to shift and that America needs to understand that this is a January 6th that's happening every single day on the local level that is slowly tearing apart our democracy. I will say that I think it is interesting when you look at sort of who is speaking out um, and who the profiles, the quote-unquote profiles of courage are, if you're looking for someone to push back on, on Donald Trump. If you're a Republican who's thinking about sort of speaking 
you, you look at Liz Cheney and realize sort of what your future will be in this GOP. I also and Katie made a really smart point about sort of why would Sean Hannity not want to come talk to the committee? And it's because those same people who were, of course, texting Mark Meadows saying the president, former President Trump needs to stop this, they've now sort of all shifted to sort of this worldview that, no, this is, there was something funky that happened in the 2020 election. There must have been some sort of fraud. That, of course, is a lie. We This morning, President Biden was here in the Capitol, delivered a, a, a down of his predecessor and also and offered a vigorous defense of democracy. Given the environment we're in right now where there are people still trying to delegitimize the investigation, diminish the extent of what happened here, do you wish that speech had come sooner than today? Speaker Pelosi taking me through the Capitol, showing me where her staff was hiding. What did you think when you saw that picture? Well, it was a, a manifestation of Donald Trump, complete disrespect. I asked her about the lasting impact. What has been lost that you fear can't be regained? I think everything be regained. America is an optimistic country. The resilience of our democracy can withstand even the former president of the United States. Now I ask all members to rise for a moment of silence. You've been very vocal in the past about praying for your adversaries. I always do, including as recently as this morning. I always pray for them that God, that they will open their hearts to God's blessings to do what is right. But um, I say to the Republicans, take back your party. This is not who you are. You're the grand old party. It's done so much for America. Had great our country. This is a sad thing for the, for the country that the Republican Party would have melted down to a cult. And Yamish, for you, what, what memory stays most with you? The memory that sticks most with me um, watching the Capitol being attacked is that that these white protesters had to break in. And I kept picturing what it might have been like had these people been the, the protesters that I covered so closely in Ferguson, the black people that were demanding justice and police accountability. It's very easy to see those people being shot, frankly, dead on the steps of the Capitol if they, if they were black or brown or immigrants. Um, and to see some of, the, some of the white protesters walk away with their lives. They publish everything they can get their hands on. Chuck Schumer said they shouted, there's that big Jew. Does anybody believe that? Nobody believes that. Casey Hunt. America has a choice to make. The President Biden's speech today will land in history books as a marker. Regardless of what happens next, will our democratic experiment live on or crumble? They're just playing along with it because the end result is that they want to push voter integrity laws so that the Democrats never lose. Look at this. It says everything you need to know about our government. Army officer didn't get reprimanded to go to a political event. He's an army officer. He rightly was punished. In our intro, you see rail yards that they're fucking rat fucking. Our, our democracy isn't crumbling because of January 6th. 
It is crumbling because of a piss-poor media and an inept president. Wisconsin judge rules absentee ballot drop boxes are not allowed under state law. They never were, but they did it anyway. And now, because of voter integrity laws that aren't going to get passed, Amy Siskind on cinema, Cinema's behaviors made no common sense to me. Surely she knows, too, that she would lose in the 2024 Democratic primary. Why would she do it? I have info from an inside source who lives in Arizona and has direct connection with his permission and sharing first, and it's likely it's breaking news to anyone. Cinema's a highly overinflated ego. To cinema, as many have suspected, her term in the U.S. Senate, she believes, is just a stopping ground for her next step. She doesn't assume she'll need to be reelected. This is something I imagine, but assume she would blah, 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 blah. Goes on just to tax her personally. Uh, you have another blue check, Tom Watson. I'm not kidding about Chris Cinema. It's all about race. If you're wondering what the cinema secret is, that is black people. There's no real mystery here. Plain old bigot, Occam's Razor. They literally fucking couldn't help themselves. They are the fascist. And through their media, they just want to win the next election. Good evening from the cradle of the civil rights movement. President Biden today appealed to the lessons of history in his strongest call yet for the passage of voting rights legislation and announcing his support for an exception to the Senate filibuster rule in order to get it done. Speaking in Georgia, the president blasted recently passed state voting laws, he says, are meant to subvert the vote, allowing partisans, he said, to seek the results they want. The president has spoken on voting rights before, but a lack of action has left many in his own party disappointed. Today, the president turned the spotlight on the Senate, where current rules remain a major obstacle toward passing legislation. Mr. Biden throwing his support behind lifting the filibuster, declaring today the majority should rule in the United States Senate. Peter. President Biden, meanwhile, late today in Georgia, issuing a call to action on voting rights in this country, urging the Senate to get it done, saying he will support changes in the Senate rules, changes to the filibuster on this issue, and telling senators, including reluctant members of his own party, history will judge you on this issue. In the greatest democracy in the world, there's currently a fight about how we should vote, setting up a possible showdown in the Senate, where Democratic leaders are giving a deadline. Pass vote by Martin Luther King Jr. Day next week, or rules in Washington. Still, Republicans in Michigan are using a quirk in the state constitution to change election laws without the governor's signature. Jamie Rowe runs the Michigan group Secure My Vote, which critics say is working to make it harder to vote by proposing new voter ID requirements and preventing officials from sending unsolicited absentee ballot applications. We need to do some stuff to tighten up the uh, way absentee ballots are, are handled. Secretary of State Benson called that an unnecessary. Is there widespread fraud? in Michigan's elections? No. Also here in Michigan, Republicans have been replacing some local GOP election officials who certified the 2020 results, sparking fears among Democrats and nonpartisan election experts about how ballot counts might go in close elections later this year and in 2020. 
I also want to point out that we're putting those two voters together, but there's not equivalence in the journey to that feeling, to that feeling of doubt. Uh, there's only one party who was responsible for the attack on the Capitol behind me. Uh, there's one party primarily responsible for undermining the faith uh, in the 2020 results. But when you have voters on both sides distrusting the system, you, you put the country in a situation where we're going to be wobbling into the future, uh, and I'm not sure we're going to blaming Republican elected officials. Yes. Is the blame really with them, or is it with the voters who it's, they're responding to? Well, belief in media, belief in government, those things have all gone by the wayside over the last two decades. John, we are at a point where it doesn't seem like there's a referee in American life. You know, people don't trust Congress, they don't trust the courts, they don't trust the media. I do think it's interesting, Governor, about getting your party back on track. It reminds me when I was in marital counseling, how two people can look at the same thing and to come up with two totally different views. And the counselor would say, but that's his reality, that's your reality. And I would say, but he's not telling the truth. So well, what happens when people look at the, you can't deny facts. What right. happens when you tell it like it is and you put out the facts and people still don't believe? How do you well, change that mindset? Look at this. This is now, right now. 66% believe that Russia altered the 2016 election. 66% of Democrats. But you don't hear the polls. You don't hear the polls that literally show that Democrats are worse, way worse than Republicans on believing anything. And this is how we got to where we're at. We didn't get here because of Donald Trump. We didn't get to where we are because of Donald Trump. We got here because of a media that will parrot or push any Democratic conspiracy there is as fact and trust in elections dump because of the Democrats and because of the media spending four fucking years telling us all that Donald Trump was installed by $136,000 worth of Facebook bots. And the PP tapes made up by Hillary Clinton's campaign. That's all been reported by the Washington Post, New York Times. It's all been reported, but it's on page 35. They do it once, they leave it alone. The truth is they concocted a lie, which was a bigger lie than this. This isn't even a lie. They love this. They're proud they concocted some bullshit and took over elections. And even though it's not about January 6th, it's not about the election, it's not about Trump, listen to this report. The media's fucked things up so bad, they still run out Fauci and wear their t-shirts on air. I could play a soundbite this week, somebody's wearing a Fauci t-shirt, they carry his doll. They don't believe the media on anything. This is from News Nation. No conservative platform. And it found that Americans and these people who were polled feel overwhelmingly negative about the president's handling of the pandemic, as well as the direction the pandemic is moving in. 
More than half of people polled, 52% think the pandemic is never going to end. Nearly 70% don't trust Dr. Fauci. Only half trust the messaging by the CDC and FDA. Even still, a surprising majority, more than 70%, supports some kind of mask mandate. 55% don't approve of how President Biden is handling COVID. But what's even worse for the president is that even more respondents, 58%, disapprove of how he's doing in his job as president overall. That's a stunning disapproval rate. Trust or the lack thereof, one of the elements that really stood out in our exclusive News Nation poll. Nearly 80% of Americans admit they are concerned about the pandemic, but who they trust to tell them about it is mixed. We know one thing that they don't trust the media, unfortunately, and only about 15% say they trust the president right now. Here's the question we put to 1,000 registered voters. When it comes to information about COVID-19, which of the following sources would you say you trust? Select all that apply. The margin of error, about 5.8%. Dr. Anthony Fauci coming in at about 30.1%, 30.8%. Uh, federal health authorities, uh, like the CDC and the FDA, about 50%. Your doctor, way out in front at 63.2%. President Biden. 15 and a half, the media absolutely trailing at 10.2%. Honestly, hurts a little, but doctors say... Remember, they're the ones that said you shouldn't take Donald Trump's stuff. They're the ones. They don't trust Fauci. They don't trust the media. They don't trust anything because this is what the media has done. Th this is an article. To preserve our democracy, we must bar insurrectionists from the ballot. That's not the people that went to the Capitol, that's everybody who voted for Trump. Destroying a democracy to save it. Democrats call for the disqualification of dozens of Republicans. This is the reason, and this is by Turley, no conservative. This is why they're doing all this. The day Joe Biden became president, they loved when he called everybody a bunch of fucking racists. They, they thought it was this shit. And remember, I played it, but I'm going to play it again. When they did this kabuki theater, they even included the guy who was killed by the black nationalists. Let us acknowledge today, as I conclude, I want to acknowledge our fallen heroes of that day. U.S. Capitol Police Officer Brian Sicknick, U.S. Capitol Police Officer Howard Livingood, Metropolitan Officer Jeffrey Smith, U.S. Capitol Police Officer Billy Evans of a later assault. Now I ask all members to rise for a moment of silence in their memory. Thank you. It goes back to the general theme of everything. If there's going to be a suspension on social media, it's going to be conservative. If there's going to be fact-checking and, and any kind of corrections for our media, it's just going to be conservatives. They let the left get away with everything, and this is egregious. If you're saying a bunch of people were killed by those evil Trump people, 
and you make up a bunch of lies, American people are going to see it because eventually the news media, like New York Times WAPO, they have to cover it. There it is. Bloomberg just carries it like it's a gospel. The word insurrectionist has not been uttered once during coverage of 1-6 on Fox this morning, other than Biden using it during a speech, which the network aired per search of show transcript. So Fox has uttered insurrection the same number of times as the DOJ has issued indictments, and that's how we got the indictment. The left couldn't handle anymore. They lost their shit. They had to have one. And now if you listen to CNN... There it is. You just needed the one indictment. As long as you get the one indictment, we are good to go. We are fucking golden. We are golden grand, man. We can get them whatever we want. It, it is, it's just straight up fascism. They're a bunch of fucking fat. Listen to this soundbite. What Kevin McCarthy has become is this villainous figure that is among the most villainous figures that have been in the history of the American Republic. Um, he has played a, a profoundly important role over this last year through the lying, through the cover-up of poisoning faith and belief in democracy. And one of the things about Kevin McCarthy, if you watch him operate, is that he's very childlike in that he lives entirely in the moment. He's not thinking about the ramifications for the next conversation based on what he's saying in the current or in the last. He's just trying to survive. He's trying to survive in the moment. So in that moment, Kevin McCarthy was reading the situation. He understood how egregious this was. And in the end, before he gets down to Mar-a-Lago, which was fundamentally about securing the financing pipeline for the House Republicans in the 2020 midterms, that's what that meeting was substantially about. And, and the House uh, should use every power uh, that it has at its discretion, including an inherent contempt power that could see the sergeant of arms handcuff and detain Kevin McCarthy in a locked basement office until he wishes to test. Did you hear all that? They did just that under Trump. They did all of that. They have no shame. They have no shame. And when you own Google and people are worried, you know, that, that they can't Google search shit without it pushing CNN articles, they think they can get away with it. They think we're all idiots. J6 committee misleading witnesses about Republican staff presence. They're not there. That's not the chosen people. They dropped all the charges for all this shit. When Trump, Bush, you can go back to everything. It's all dumped. They got rid of all that shit. This letter is so fucking embarrassing. Do you remember she ripped up the State of the Union for Trump? Thank you for your bold vision and patriotic leadership, which has guided America's out of the crisis into the era of great progress. And we not only recover from pandemic, but build back better. Indeed, this past year has been historic with the life-saving American Rescue Plan, one in a century bipartisan infrastructure law, and soon the truly transformation Build Back Better Act. In that spirit, I'm writing to invite you to address a joint session of Congress, Nancy Pelosi.
That's just unbelievable. Why the ruling class is so incompetent. They're just incompetent people. They shouldn't be in charge of anything. Anything. Washington Post publishes this. Biden, who heads to Senator Harry M. Reid's memorial Saturday, his seventh as president, uses funeral to honor his friendship and make a point about bipartisanship. Not everyone thinks it's the best use of his time. I will wait here for the apparent growing chorus referenced here who are opposed, that is, right opposed, according to this tweet, to a POTUS who honors the lives of those lost, the empathy and grace, and they changed it. We deleted the tweet that inadvertently disparaged the president, is basically what they're saying. White House graph compares Biden to previous president and job creation is truly pathetic propaganda. It's complete propaganda. He didn't create jobs. People went back to work. Snopes finally tagged four Pinocchios that January 6th is September 11th. But what do you find all over the place? Shocking poll. Only 6% believe Biden's true. Not that 60% of Democrats still believe Trump was installed. Another one of these. Hey, America, y'all cool with your pilots displaying Let's Go Brandon? Hunter Biden's close friend being charged with treason. No reports. Prolitico, President Joe Biden sets its sights on voting laws based on Donald Trump's lies of the election. Days after going after Donald Trump for threatening American democracy, President Joe Biden will turn his sights on Republicans for pushing laws based on the former president's lies. That is so false, it's not even funny. It's based on the fact that you guys did 80 voting laws and went around state legislatures and made a bunch of rules that are illegal. And now states have blocked you from doing that again and letting Facebook run polling places. Huh? And then here comes the real fascism. In the meantime, you heard Dr. Fauci there talking about the extraordinary nature of this virus. It's also an unexpected and very heated moment today on the Hill. Dr. Fauci talking about the threats against his family, describing them. The man stopped in Iowa and what that man told authorities. And today, when Kentucky Senator Rand Paul accused Dr. Fauci of trying to destroy the reputation of other scientists who disagree with him, Dr. Fauci is saying that kind of misinformation has led to threats on his life and his family. Here's Mary Bruce. At that hearing today, Dr. Anthony Fauci fed up with Republican Senator Rand Paul, saying his repeated and false attacks are putting Fauci's life at risk. What happens when he gets out and accuses me of things that are completely untrue is that all of a sudden that kindles the crazies out there and I have life that threats upon my life, harassment of my family. Today detailing one of the latest threats against him, a California man arrested during a traffic stop in Iowa last month. The police asked him where he was going and he was going to Washington DC to kill Dr. Fauci. And they found in his car an AR-15 and multiple magazines of ammunition because he thinks that maybe I'm killing people. Investigators say the man had a hit list, including former Presidents Clinton and Obama, and said he would kill President Biden if he didn't comply with his demands. As the public face of the pandemic response, Fauci has become a frequent target. 
He's previously described a terrifying experience, opening an anonymous letter delivered to his office, only to be covered in a cloud of white powder he thought might have been a deadly substance. It was later found not to be hazardous. Fauci today accusing the Republican senator of spreading dangerous lies for his own political gain. Go to Rand Paul website and you see fire Dr. Fauci with a little box that says contribute here. You can do $5, $10, $20, $100. So you are making a catastrophic epidemic for your political gain. So the you only have thing politically that, the only attacked thing your can... colleagues. Now, Paul disputed Fauci's claims, but David, tonight the senator is already trying to fundraise. I think that that election is so wrought with, so tainted, it doesn't matter what anybody says anymore. And while Snow said he did not join the protesters on Capitol Hill after the rally that day, and called the violence against police officers unfortunate and appalling, he still defends the dozens of current and former members of the military who participated. They, like you, took an oath to support and defend the Constitution. If that's what they felt that they needed to do to protect the Constitution from enemies both foreign and domestic, it's completely the opposite of the Constitution itself. I, I, I disagree. More than 80 of the some 700 facing criminal charges for the assault on the Capitol had a military background. It goes against everything we were, we, we swore an oath to, to protect, to, to serve, to do. David Smith, a former Navy medic who served in Afghanistan, was working near the Capitol that day. So it was, uh, it was literally watching what felt like democracy falling, honestly. And sobering for the Pentagon in the wake of the attack and outlining new guidelines and definitions for prohibited extremist activities. Commanders can also look at service members' social media history once a red flag is raised, and the guidance includes what constitutes dissemination of extremist materials online, such as posting, liking, or retweeting. But so many say Part, uh, with the fact that that Biden just made without question his strongest, starkest pitch yet for election uh, reform. Uh, there are a lot of uh, activists, voting rights activists, progressive activists who have wanted him to be sounding like this since he took office in January 2021. Um, and in fact, some of them boycotted today because they said they're sick of White House photo ops. Yeah, I mean, the problem, though, is that right at this moment, it's kind of too late. I think what activists wanted was for Biden to make this issue priority number one, to use political capital.
Congressman, I know you take issue with the president's rhetoric. You thought it was too hot, but I still can't help but think of all the truly outrageous and offensive things President Trump said that so many Republican lawmakers simply ignored or even defended. And this, of course, is different. This is about the fundamental American right to vote, about every eligible voter having fair and equal access to vote. So if playing nice wasn't getting people to pay attention, was this passion, the fire here, warranted? I really do think he was too hot and too partisan. And again, you know, if, if because somebody disagrees with the president of the United States on same day registration or publicly financed campaign, which is in uh, campaign, which is in part of the uh, uh, the legislation just passed uh, today in the House, uh, that doesn't make you a segregationist or somebody who's sympathetic to Bull Connor. I mean, I thought it was rather offensive, uh, and and I think that he needs to get. He, he had an opportunity in Atlanta, I thought, to talk about the John Lewis Voting Rights Act, how we could get a bipartisan agreement on that. I voted to reauthorize it in 2006. I was proud to do so. We can do that again. And the Electoral Count Act of 1877, that needs to be fixed. And I think he had an opportunity to bring people together. And they should, Democrats should jettison some of this other stuff uh, that that you know really is just a wish list of the progressives and uh, and they're just kind of use that as a as a pretext you know uh, using January 6th as a pretext so I think the president you know really missed a terrible opportunity I understand that a lot of Republicans but let's are be honest states like New Hampshire, New York, did, would it have mattered what the president said the president tried playing nice with Republicans and Republicans straight up and Mitch McConnell specifically was saying no we're not going to work with you on this period well, Mitch McConnell just said he was prepared to, you know, do something on the electoral, uh, the electoral count act of 1877. Which, I mean, there it's, it's there. I mean, why not, why not take him at his word? I mean, I just, I just think that the president, you know, just really, he said he was going to unite the country. He was going to be the bipartisan guy. I supported him, uh, but I, I just did not like that, that approach. And you know, and they're they're all upset with Kirsten Sinema and Joe Manchin because they won't flip flop on the filibuster. All these other Democrats flip-flopped on it, made statements about, oh my, when George Bush was president, boy, if we got rid of the filibuster, that would lead to extremism, dictatorship. Now, if, I mean, that's what they said then, some of them. And now here we are, and they're saying that we have to get rid of it. If we don't get rid of it, you know, we will have uh, dictatorship and autocracy. Joining me now is Malcolm Nance. He's the author of the forthcoming book, They Want to Kill Americans, The Militias, Terrorists, and Deranged Ideology of the Trump Insurgency. We are approaching a solemn anniversary this week, uh, and it is an anniversary of a violent terrorist attack on the Capitol, where we saw the men and women of law enforcement demonstrate incredible courage. The way I phrased things yesterday, it, it was sloppy, and, and it was frankly dumb. And, I don't and buy that. Whoa, 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 I don't whoa. buy that. For, look, I've known you a long time since before you went to the Senate. You were a Supreme Court contender. You take words as seriously as any man who's ever served in the Senate. And every word you repeated that phrase, I do not believe that you used that accidentally. I just don't. It's, so, Tucker, as a result of my sloppy phrasing, it's caused a lot of people to misunderstand what I meant. Honestly, Malcolm, this is a cult. After everything this country has done to folks who look like you and me, here we sit, bigger patriots than those two half-witted individuals with their feigned outrage and lies to the American people. How does this persist? Occur. The idea of rogue units organizing among themselves to support the rightful commander-in-chief cannot be dismissed. Under such a scenario, it is not outlandish to say a military breakdown could lead to civil war. 
Let's discuss with one of the authors, retired Major General Paul Eaton. Uh, Major General, thank you so much for joining us. That's an incredibly stark warning. Why do you feel so compelled to raise the alarm? Well, thank you very much for inviting me. Uh, the intent of the op-ed is to bring up the possibility uh, that the armed forces of the United States could be infected by what we are watching develop in the Republican Party. Uh, we tend to be a conservative lot. Uh, the military installations have a constant feed of Fox News going in there. And uh, what we've got is uh, an opportunity for the Republican Party, 39% who don't believe that uh, President Biden is the duly elected president of the United States. 17% of the Republican Party espouse the use of violence in a future election. Uh, we've got 10% of those charged uh, during the insurrection on 6 January were veterans. We have 124 retired generals and admirals who wrote a letter that stated they don't buy the uh, election results. And they also questioned the uh, suitability, the competence of uh, President Biden to serve as president. You have governors in Oklahoma, Florida, Texas, who believe that they, not the commander in chief, the president of the United States, will have complete control over the National Guard in their states. These are indications and warning. These are. That ladder just fucking pisses me off. Some of the stuff this guy is able to go around and say. On December 17th, Washington Post said that Eaton was referring to was the one he wrote with former Army General Antonio Taguba and Steve Anderson, three retired generals. The military must prepare now for 2024 insurrection. We are chilled to our bones at the thought of a coup seceding next time. One of our military strengths is that it draws from our diverse population as a collection of individuals, all with different beliefs and backgrounds. But without constant maintenance, the potential for a military breakdown, mirroring the societal or political breakdown. is very real. The signs of potential turmoil in our armed forces are there. On January 6th, a disturbing number of veterans and active duty members of the military took part in the attack on the Capitol. More than one in ten of those charged in the attacks is a service record. A group of 124 retired officers. Sorry, I was wrestling my, my boom. <laughs> Disconnected. But what the fucking fuck is that? And they're everywhere. Major General Paul Eaton. For lo, so many years, I've looked for a president with guts. A buck starts the kind of person. And now we get Joe Biden. Thank God, sir. Well, well, let's look at this administration. Let's really look at the things they've done. What they have done. Education secretary requested the letter. Requested it. Is that what a free society does? Are these the things we do? How about his HHS secretary going on and saying if they don't get what they want, People are going to die. How about Joe Biden saying what he said? And I'm going to play it again because here's the rebuttals. And if they don't, well, I think 
that will be on their conscience. I, I think there's some clear authority, legal authority, for us to move forward as we have proposed, both for the private sector workforce and for the healthcare workforce. And we understand that if we don't get people vaccinated and covered this way, people will die. And if you're a healthcare worker, for sure. I did not walk in the shoes of generations of students who walked these grounds, but I walked other grounds because I'm so damn old I was there as well. <laughs> hey, you think I'm kidding, man. Seems like yesterday, the first time I got arrested. Anyway. Because I'm so damn old, I was there, it seems, like yesterday, the first time I got arrested. That's a lie. NPR. President Biden called for changing the Senate filibuster rule in order to pass voting rights. How do you want to be remembered, Biden said. Do you want to be the side of Dr. King or George Wallace? Then we get down here. Flashback. Joe Biden once bragged about being praised by George Wallace. Do you want to be on the side of Dr. King or be on the side of George Wallace? In 73, Biden bragged that Wallace considered him one of the outstanding young politicians of America. How about this one? Biden was more than civil rights segregationist. He was an ally. He was a Dixiecrat. Ben Shapiro. Everyone, I don't like it, is George Wallace. Screamed the elderly presidents who once bragged about being associated with George Wallace. How about the AP for him? I told you this was coming. Just like George Bush to uh, freaking Obama with deaths in Iraq, we were going to start changing the way we counted things. Initially, it was subtle. We just stopped putting the death tracker up. Then we start doing case counts because they were in the rut and they're they're all COVID Fauci sycophants. So polls start, people realize Biden said he was gonna stop it, and now he's in the shit toilet. So we're gonna change how we do everything. Then a week later, he didn't real mean real, he didn't really mean it. You know, I was not making a human comparison. When I call you a garbage human, I'm not really saying you're a garbage human. It is so ingrained in these people, all right? So ingrained, they don't see anything as non-political. And to show the true fascism, because that's kind of my theme today how fascist these people are. The Supreme Court was the key thing. How they acted after the Supreme Court pretty much sums up everything about the left. But my question really is, what I'd like to turn this to, is, uh, stay. You heard what I asked. I mean, you know, 750 million new cases yesterday, or close to that, is uh, a lot. I don't mean to be facetious. But that, that, that's why I said uh, I would find... If, if there is an ambiguity, why isn't this a major question that therefore belongs to the people's representatives of the states and in the halls of Congress. 
given that the statute at issue here is, as the Chief Justice pointed out, 50 years old, doesn't address this question. The rule affects, I believe, we're told, 80 million people, and the government reserves the right to extend it to every private business in the country. Traditionally, states have had the responsibility for overseeing vaccination mandates. I rejected a challenge to one just the other day from New Mexico. Um, Congress has had a year to act on the question of vaccine mandates already. As the Chief Justice points out, it appears that the federal government is going agency by agency as a workaround to its inability to get Congress to act. Um, the risks imposed here are not unilateral. There are risks to those who choose not to be vaccinated that they're trying to avoid sometimes, as you discussed with Justice Alito and conceded to him. Traditionally, OSHA has had a country today than we had a year ago in January. Um, we have hospitals that are almost at full capacity with people is severely ill on ventilators. We have over 100,000 children, which we've never had before, in, in serious condition, and uh, many on ventilators. Um, so saying it's a different variant just underscores the fact that without the without um, and I, I've been also listening to the argument. Um, definitely do not pretend to have anywhere near the legal prowess of Barb, but I have been really interested in hearing, frankly, Andrea, some misinformation coming from justices' comments, which reinforces actually how much misinformation is out there. And I'm hoping the Solicitor General can kind of overcome some of those barriers. Well, I heard some shocking misinformation from justices just during the abortion yeah. arguments. Uh, so when it comes to health care on these social issues, uh, some of those justices are spouting stuff that on the, from the internet that is, I mean, right. it's, it's really shocking. They're supposed to have great clerks who work on these arguments for them and on, the, you know, on these briefs. Barb, tell me about the fact that our Supreme Court justices are repeating, you know, Fox News internet garbage. Yeah, you know, when you hear some of these things, it makes you wonder whether they genuinely believe it or they think it's a good point for advocacy. For example, um, we hear a lot of argument about, it, you know, this, it would be unprecedented to require workers uh, to get a vaccine. But in the OSHA context, there is an alternative. You could also instead say, I want to be tested and wear a mask. And so uh, to suggest that this is an all or nothing scenario is really inaccurate. Um, the other suggestion is that uh, this is so different from anything that OSHA has ever done before. Well, we live in unprecedented times and that we never required a polio vaccine. No, because there was nobody opposing it. There was nobody crazy back then who said that you shouldn't get a polio vaccine. And so I think they're grasping at some of these arguments that have, uh, you know, carried the day uh, in uh, the, the right-wing media uh, environment, but in a courtroom sound. Justices Breyer, Sotomayor, and Kagan made clear they support the mandate. But some of what Justice Sotomayor had to say in defense of the measure raised eyebrows. Those numbers show that Omicron is as deadly and causes as much serious disease in the unvaccinated as Delta did. That's not true. Omicron is more mild. We have laboratory evidence of that. We have epidemiological evidence of that. We have over 100,000 children 
which we've never had before, in serious condition, and uh, many on ventilators. Well, that's not true. We have not had 100,000 children in serious uh, condition in U.S. hospitals, according to the CDC. I heard some assertions made by the Supreme Court justices today that were simply false. Uh, one example, Justice Sotomayor said, quote, we have over 100,000 children, which we've never had before, in, in serious condition, and many on ventilators. That, that's just not true. There are fewer than 5,000 minors hospitalized with COVID right now, seen there on the right, we're showing the figures, not 100,000. And that includes minors who were admitted because of COVID and ones who tested positive but had been hospitalized. She's not so much speaking to her colleagues. She's not so much trying to them. Uh, she's speaking uh, beyond the walls of the court. Yeah, I mean, and Joan, I heard some assertions made by the Supreme Court justices today that were simply false. Uh, one example, Justice Sotomayor said, quote, we have over 100,000 children, which we've never had before in, in serious condition and many on ventilators, that, that's just not true. There are the number of kids with COVID hits an all-time high as parents and teachers struggle with this surge. Turning now to COVID hospitalizations hitting a record high nationwide. This is a record number of children tested positive last week. More than 142,000 Americans were in hospitals as of Sunday with the coronavirus. That's according to the federal government. The vast majority unvaccinated. Now, that was more than we'd ever seen before. Also this morning, hospitalizations hitting a pandemic high nationwide. This morning, the state's resorting to emergency measures to keep hospitals staffed. As cases and hospitalizations soar to new records. The American Academy of Pediatrics says more than 580,000 children tested positive for the virus last week. That is also an alt. Yeah, it's crazy. And Anna, you tested positive last week. I feel like I rubbed off on you through the through the camera. <laughs> How are you feeling? You know, I'm feeling pretty good. I, I probably sound a little stuffy and my hair and makeup is not uh, on point today because I did it myself and this is not something I do well. I mean, that's the thing, you know, if you if you find yourself, you know, coming down with COVID or, or having to isolate because you've been around somebody with it, then you got to spend some time figuring out how am I going to not become cranky or get really crabby or nasty to people. You got to do this. You got to watch television, redesign stuff because it yeah. feels like it's everywhere. Eventually, right. something like I, I feel like I opened the window and got COVID <laughs> because it just was <laughs> going by on the, on the waves and the in the wind. Well, well, first, I just want to reframe this a little bit about Justice Sotomayor, because um, while, you know, she may not be accurate for current hospitalizations um, in children, she is correct that we have more children in the hospital uh, now more than ever before. Um, and it certainly reflects right. the current cases in children. Right now we have 82,843 um, children uh, sick with, with COVID. More than 1,000 children have died from the virus. Yeah, I mean, and Ellie, as, as you point out, not surprising. They, this is as you would, as we all would expect in terms of conservatives thinking that it should be up to elected officials and states.
Yeah, Allison, in a way, listening to the argument felt like a throwback to the sort of the old days when conservatives were skeptical of federal power and more in favor of states' rights, and liberals were more in favor of sort of the regulatory state and agency action. And you could hear that in the justices' questioning. And the quote that Victor just put up on the screen in red, I think, reflects that sort of concern where the Supreme Court in that quote is saying it shouldn't be up to unelected officials at OSHA or other federal agencies. This really should be up to Congress. The proper role of Congress is to say, okay, executive branch, whether it's OSHA or any other agency, we hereby empower you to take a certain action or a certain type of action. Now, OSHA does have the power to issue certain regulations if there is a, quote, grave danger. Uh, and the, the liberal justices at this argument said, well, of course, this is a grave danger. This is a once in a century pandemic. But the conservative justices uh, plainly seem to disagree. And you know, yeah. guys, you know, the, these justices, the conservatives, have been very skeptical of agency power. We saw it just a few months ago when the Biden administration tried to hold on to that eviction moratorium, citing the pandemic and the um, emergency conditions of the pandemic. The justices in that case, just a few we uh, months ago, struck that down, saying that the CDC just didn't have the power to issue an eviction moratorium. So this is in line with what we've seen from these conservative justices, you know, just a few months ago during the pandemic? Well, there is some credibility gap from the CDC, but I think, you know, it's, it's important not to conflate that with the attacks on prominent U.S. scientists. I mean, let's, let's break it down into components. Component one is the fact that the far-right anti-vaccine aggression has caused 200,000 Americans since June to last June to lose their lives because they were defiant of vaccines. So there is, and this is coming right out of the CPAC conference, vaccines are political instruments of control, or first they'll vaccinate you, then they'll take your, your guns and Bibles away, quotes from members of the United States Congress. So the attack on Tony and Dr. Fauci uh, today, it's not all just Tony, it's its its myself and, and a few other uh, key US scientists, is all is all part of that. It's, it's, and it's not random, it's intentional, it's meant to discredit science and to discredit scientists and so doubt in the American people for political gain. So Dr. Fauci was absolutely right uh, in the way he responded. I, I didn't mean to defend the senators in particular. No, I know. Yeah. What Dr. Paul was saying, because I had just pointed out that Dr. Paul accused Dr. Fauci of being personally responsible for the death of 800,000 Americans. And I think we can all agree, you know, that it's the anti-vaxxers, the politicization, what started under Donald Trump, you know, all of that that led to that. And I'm not sure how, how we can heal that rift and get people to finally get vaccinated, which is the core of the problem, especially with this highly transmissible variant. That's right. And and those who are defiant of vaccinations are strictly along a partisan divide. You can show this in the red states and you can make these very strong associations statistically between percentage of conservatism, those who are voted for uh, Donald Trump and, and those who are defiant of vaccinations. And, you know, Andrea, this is one of the toughest things as, as a biomedical scientist, as a physician scientist, I've ever had to talk about because, you know, all of our training says you don't talk about Republicans and Democrats and liberals or conservatives who are supposed to be above all that. But, I, you know, I don't know how to talk about it without talking about it because it's just so obvious from studies done at MIT and the Kaiser Family Foundation reported by the New York Times. It is this strict partisan divide. 
And it's a killer. As I say, 200,000 unvaccinated Americans died by anti-science aggression. A mixed pair of rulings that will directly impact nearly 100 million Americans. The court's conservative majority says the Biden administration does not have the authority to impose a vaccine or test rule on private companies. But it does have the ability to mandate COVID shots for most health workers. President Biden says he was disappointed by the decision to, quote, block common sense requirements for large businesses, but that keeping the rule for doctors, nurses and others who work in settings that receive federal aid will save lives. The decisions come as the U.S. is facing a surge in new cases and record hospitalizations. As we come on the air, nearly 63% of Americans are fully vaccinated. Quite a blow to the Biden administration as COVID cases careen out of control across the U.S. The Supreme Court blocking the president's plan to require employees at large private companies to be vaccinated or test weekly for COVID. But the court is allowing the mandate for most health care workers. This comes as the president called in the military today to help overwhelmed hospitals in six states survive the surge. Tonight, in a blow to the White House, the Supreme Court blocking the Biden administration from enforcing a vaccine and testing mandate for large businesses. The policy, which would have impacted more than 80 million employees, required they get vaccinated or wear masks and undergo weekly testing. The conservative justices argued the agency overseeing the mandate, the Occupational Safety and Health Administration, also known as OSHA, does not have the authority to regulate public health. Get to that in a moment, but first a big blow to the White House COVID strategy. The U.S. Supreme Court today blocking enforcement of the president's vaccine and testing mandates for large employers, ruling the requirements go too far. It's a decision impacting more than 80 million workers. But the court also leaving intact a separate vaccine mandate for most of the nation's health care workers. The rulings announced as the number of fully vaccinated Americans. Re President Biden taking new steps to surge resources where they're needed most, deploying six more military medical teams to six hard hit states, a thousand personnel part of this effort. Tonight, Arcana Whitworth in one of those states. She's at Dayton's Children's Hospital in Ohio. What doctors are seeing there right now as Kana goes down the list of states tonight where military medical personnel are now on the way. Tonight, President Biden deploying six more military medical teams to six hospitals in hard-hit states. New York, New Jersey, Michigan, Rhode Island, New Mexico, and Ohio. At least a thousand hospitals across the country are facing critical staff shortages. Dayton Children's in Ohio says it's short-staffed and admitting more kids than ever since the Omicron surge. Tonight, a blow to the Biden administration as COVID cases careen out of control across the U.S. The Supreme Court blocking the president plan to require employees at large private companies to be vaccinated or test weekly for COVID. But the court is allowing the mandate for most health care workers. This comes as the president called in the military today to help overwhelmed hospitals in six states survive the surge. It all comes as the Biden administration scrambles to fight a frustratingly resurgent pandemic, vaccine misinformation, and a highly transmissible variant. While the most recent data suggests that Omicron may be leveling off in some East Coast cities, overall cases and hospitalizations remain high nationwide. Now the president is sending in the military to hospitals in six hard-hit states, including the Cleveland Clinic, the University of New Mexico, and Rhode Island Hospital. 
And he says his administration will make higher quality masks. And, um, I'll preface this question by noting the obvious, and that is that I don't believe you are a, a legal analyst, but, but you are a health expert. And from that perspective, I'd love to get your reaction to what we heard from the Supreme Court yesterday, blocking uh, the administration's mandate for yep. businesses, large businesses, to impose vaccines and testing, but allowing them for some hospitals that provide Medicare and Medicaid uh, help. I'm curious, did that ruling make sense um, from your perspective, and what, what's your take on it? No, I mean, I thought that the, the obvious uh, political leanings of the court were, were shown in, in that decision. And I'll, I'll, well, I was also struck by the astonishing lack of information uh, as evidenced by some of the questions posed by some of the justices, particularly uh, Justice Thomas. Uh, mis completely uh, mis misquoting data and misunderstanding how, how this virus spread. Uh, and, you know, the court's decision, which basically said that workplaces, by and large, are not risky places to acquire the virus, uh, speak counter to what the court has set up. You can't enter that court yeah. unless you are vaccinated and tested. So the court has cloaked themselves in the protections that most workplaces mm -hmm. don't have. Yet they would withhold that from you know millions of workers in the United States. I thought it. I know you don't want to weigh in on ongoing litigation for the Supreme Court, mm -hmm. but not long ago in this room, the Surgeon General told us that COVID misinformation was a public health threat. Um, I'm wondering if the White House is at all concerned, uh, given uh, Supreme Court Justices Sotomayor's remarks about the Omicron variant, um, that maybe the danger is, is being overhyped and your message is not getting out. I think I just addressed this, didn't I answer? The idea that a government official like yourself would claim unilaterally, unilaterally to represent science, that any criticism of you would be considered a criticism of science itself, is quite dangerous. Central planning, whether it be of the economy or of science, is risky because of the fallibility of the planner. It would not be so catastrophic if the planner were simply one physician in Peoria, then the mistakes would only affect that physician's patients the people who chose that position. But when the planner is a government official, like yourself, who rules by mandate, the errors are compounded and become much more harmful. A planner who believes he is the science leads to an arrogance that justifies, in his mind, using government resources to smear and to destroy the reputations of other scientists who disagree with him. In an email exchange with Dr. Collins, you conspire, and I quote here directly from the email, to create a quick and devastating published takedown of three prominent epidemiologists from Harvard, Oxford, and Stanford. Apparently there's a lot of fringe epidemiologists at Harvard, Oxford, and Stanford. And you quote in the email that they were from Dr. Collins and you, you agree that they are fringe. And immediately there's this takedown effort. A published takedown though, you know, doesn't exactly conjure up the image of a dispassionate scientist. Instead of engaging them on the merits, you and Dr. Collins sought to smear them as fringe and take them down, and not in journals, in lay press. This is not only antithetical to the scientific method, it's the epitome of Do you really think it's appropriate to use your $420,000 salary to attack scientists that disagree with you? The, the email you're referring to was an email of Dr. Collins to me, if you look at the email that you responded to and hurried up and said, I can do it, I can do it. We got something in Wired no, Magazine. No, no, no. I think in you usual did. fashion, 
Senator, you are distorting everything about me. Did you First ever object to Dr. Collins's characterization of them as fringe? Did you write back to Dr. Collins and say, no, they're not fringe, they're esteemed scientists, and it would be beneath me I, I did to not do that? You responded to him that you would do it, and you immediately got an article you, in Wired, you, and you sent it back to him and said, hey, look, I've got them. I nailed them in Wired of all scientific publications. That's not what went on. You there you go again. That you was just do the same thing every hearing. That was your response. And so, this, wasn't, so, this wasn't the only time. So your desire to take you're down people. You're absolutely incorrect. As usual, Senator, you no. are incorrect almost everything you well, said. Well, no, you deny. You deny. Right. But the emails tell the truth of this. No. This wasn't the Senator, we are here at a committee to look at a, a virus now that has killed almost 900,000 people. And the purpose of the committee was to try and get things out, how we can help to get the American public. And you keep coming back to personal attacks on me that have absolutely no relevance to reality. Do you think anybody has had more influence let, over let our response finish. to this than you have? Do you Madam think it's a great Chair, success? Do you think it's a great success what's happened but so far? Do you think you, the lockdowns said, are good for our kids? Do you think we slowed down the death rate? More people have died now under President Biden than did under President Trump. You are the one responsible. You are the architect. You are the lead architect for the response from the government. And now 800,000 people have died. Right. So you think it's a uh, winning success, what you've advocated for government? Um, Senator, first of all, <clears throat> if you look at everything that I said, you accuse me of in a monolithic way telling people what they need to do. Everything that I've said has been in support of the CDC guidelines. Wear a mask, get boosted. And you've advocated to make it coercive take, and take done look at force, everything and you've advocated that I've said. it be done by mandate. But you, you've advocated that you're infallible. That's a lot to unpack, but that just pretty much sums up everything. You heard the justices, the left ones, just making shit up. It's all lies. You see the Nets going crazy, only Tapper correcting it. And then they don't even use Biden's name anymore. And then you have the Rand Paul Falky shit. I just want you to remember this. These comments now would get you banned a year ago. If you're a conservative, you're going to get banned. And the Rand Paul thing, Falky, literally, how is that guy even trusted anymore? I mean, a soundbite didn't play. Alan Bernstein was banned for saying the vaccine is better described as therapeutic. CDC said that Walensky said the same thing this week. Back in Fauci, back in May, Fauci said 70% adults got at least one dose. The risk of surge this winter would be extraordinarily low. But yet we have a gigantic fucking surge. AOC got COVID and she went south and talked about people jerking off on her boyfriend's feet. That's not covered. Just like the Texas, the Texas Democrats last year all getting COVID. The media didn't take that against them. I mean, why would we? It's all one way. All of this is lies, Briar. Sotomayor is my fucking favorite. I mean, there are no kids. PolitiFact, after getting a dose of COVID-19 vaccine, women literally are having their periods altered. Their periods. New York is the highest. The highest. But we're still going to talk about Santas. I mean, some of this shit is just fucking unbelievable that they are 
They're the ones the media say are the right people. They're the best people. They really care about fucking the law. But they just vote via... What the hell was that? Sorry, my computer just did something. They vote in regards to their political persuasion or whatever they're trying to push. And I actually hit this slide wrong, sorry. New York has its first official breakdown. The share of people are hospitalized because of COVID or because they went there for a different reason and they have COVID, and it's 49%. And that can be broken down pretty much the way everything is. It's all a lie. They use the lie, and they haven't been able to stop themselves from continually lying because they used it to get Trump out of office. That, that says everything. What has happened because of Obama and him infecting our government with woke and nobody going in and cleaning it out? That's what we've done. Cultural disparities. Not how it spreads. We don't care. Just They just don't care. CDC director said over 75% of COVID deaths occurred with people with at least four comorbidities. And now they're trying to pull it back because they still want to be able to use it to build back better. They're in a quandary. You need the emergency for the emergency powers. You need January 6th so you can change voting laws so you never lose again. And, and they're just they're, they're just chewed the fuck up. I'm not even putting this one up. 16-month-old learning how to be responsible, putting masks on their babies. Sonoma County wants people to shelter in place for 30 days for no reason. YouTube suspend MRC TV for putting out exactly what the CDC is putting out. Los Angeles Times ran another article. Mocking anti-vaxxers' death is ghoulish, but it's necessary. And we actually had this this week. This this is a real soundbite. On this speech yesterday, could I follow up? Yeah, um, so the president repeatedly and, of course, you know, very eloquently described what he says is his threat to democracy from the previous president, uh, you know, literally accusing him of subverting democracy to this very day. Does President Biden think that Donald Trump is fit for office? Does he think he should be in a just run again for president, for example? What's his feeling on that? He might end up facing him. I mean, I, I'm not here to, to predict what previous...
The guy is a walking corpse, and we're talking about Trump's fitness. That That's what we're talking about, Trump's fitness. I had a woke section, but I am so long today. Um, I think I'm just going to hit a couple of them because I really wanted to play some pushback. I mean, finally... Uh, a couple podcasts ago, I decided to start playing people pushing back. So I'm going to play DeSantis. A re- I, I watched this on Meet the Press. A GOP guest literally saying voter suppression is all bullshit. Molly Hemingway uh, and Seltzer, and I might put a Tucker in. So here is actually a moment of zen. If this is what you said it was, why are you not charging people? So I think it's going to end up being just a politicized Charlie Foxtrot today. Um, I don't expect anything good to come out of anything that Pelosi and the gang are doing. I don't expect anything from the the corporate press to be enlightening. Um, I think it's going to be nauseating, quite frankly, um, and I'm not going to do it. But I do think that if you have this January 6th committee, why do we not know some of the people who we know were really involved in, in orchestrating this? They got pulled off the most wanted list. Christopher Ray was asked at the um, under oath what FBI was involved in that, and he would not answer the question. And so I think that this is something that, that has really been used uh, for political narrative and posturing purposes. I don't think it's been effective. You know, people here in, in Florida, they care about inflation and they care about gas prices and education and, and crime and all the key issues that are so important. And that's, that's what they talked to me about. Uh, but there is an obsession with this amongst the DC, New York uh, uh, journalist class. And again, I think it's because it allows them to spin a narrative um, that, that they want to spin. They did not care as much uh, about what happened after 2016 when you had a false Russia collusion conspiracy theory that was put on for years because they were involved when doing it and how that may have damaged trust in institutions or all that. So um, so I just think that it's, uh, it, it is what it is, but um, it's not something that I've been con- concerned about in my job here because quite frankly, it's not something that most Floridians um, have, been, have been concerned about. They're concerned about uh, well, look, I, I think, uh, first of all, overwhelmingly, you know, it's easier to vote in the United States than it ever has been. And so much of the rhetoric around voting rights is really about animating the Democratic base. Uh, Americans overwhelmingly support voter IDs. Uh, getting an ident- ID is easy in the United States, and it's also free if you can't afford it. And so, you know, so much of this is about uh, mobilizing the base, uh, and, and I think for most Americans, particularly independent Americans, they recognize that. So I, I don't, this is an issue that's not going to pass. And I think that this is just about the base. And I got to get in here, Chuck. I, no, Go I got to get in here, Chuck. Go ahead. I got to push back on my friend Sarah about is how easy it is to, to vote in America. It is not that easy to vote in America. If you are, happen to look like me and you're in Georgia, you're staying in line for, for six or seven hours to, to, to vote. It's not easy to vote in America if you happen to look like me, right? And that's, and that's been done intentionally. Republicans have intentionally shut down voting 
uh, polls for places that, that, that cater to minorities and people who actually vote, vote Democratic. Okay, and you've seen over 200 yeah. laws passed over this last year since, since the power of young people and black voters turn and flip states, and, and Hispanic votes flip right. states. That's not by accident, Sarah. It is harder to vote in America today the than, it, than it was. The facts are, though, that it is more open than it is, is even in the north, Northeast for now. And the reality is uh, early vote, absentee vote, these are going for the last decade. Every year, more and more people vote by these means. And so I, I don't think that's accurate. All right. It's been I, growing I, every decade. It's been growing. And, and But have you seen what the state legislative bodies have been doing? You're right, it has been growing. It has been growing and more Americans have been voting. And Molly, Molly, let me start with you. What did you uh, make of these solemn commemorations of January the 6th this week? The people who spoke at the Capitol this week are the last people about threats to democracy. And everybody knows that we had unlike any other. We changed hundreds of laws and processes in the months leading up to the election. Many times that was done unconstitutionally. And we had one of the world's wealthiest and most powerful men, Mark Zuckerberg, engage in a private takeover of government election offices mm -hmm. in order to run Democratic get-out-the-vote operations. Then people who are concerned about it are treated horribly by the same regime that does all of this damage to the country and it does nothing to fix the problem and we won't fix the problem until our establishment and our regimes as you noted as you noted um, accept election results that they do not like right. that's what happened from 2016 to 2020 and until they are forced to accept election results they don't like we're going to continue to have these problems so yesterday was Sunday, you may have found yourself on the couch, idly flipping around the TV dial. And if you flipped far enough, you could have had the shock of your life. Michael Jackson was on Face the Nation. Now, to be clear, this wasn't video of Jackson songs in the 1990s. This appeared to be a living version of the international pop star that news reports claim died of a drug OD more than a dozen years ago. And yet, despite those claims, there he was, fully, undeniably Michael Jackson, talking on television. How can that be? Honestly, we have no idea. We're not theologians here. This is merely a news program. We can only show you what we saw. Here it is. There's nothing more important for us to do than protect our Constitution and our democracy. What the Republicans are doing across the country is really a a legislative continue, continuation of what they did on January 6th, which is to undermine our democracy. See, Michael Jackson, that was him. No Billy Jean, apparently he's given up singing, now he's telling lies about politics. Same man. If you've ever seen Michael Jackson, you cannot forget the face. Though admittedly, he's had a lot of work done since we saw him last. National Public Radio has been so thoroughly radicalized, it's on the verge of destroying itself from within. Crystal Fleming, a sociologist, presumably studying marginalized communities, just released this assessment of NPR's toxic white supremacy. Quote, the problem at NPR is white supremacy. That so few are saying this explicitly is telling indeed. By the way, notice <laughs> the passive construction of the sentence and the word indeed. Signifiers of low IQ, just so you know. In any case, a former NPR co-host called Srinil Marajai agreed with this. Quote, one thing I want to point out is the small percentage of Latino, Latina, Latinx employees who work at NPR. What are we now? We? 
18.5% of the U.S. population, but only 7% at NPR. Not a good look. How upset about this can The revolution eats itself. And in NPR's case, it's kind of hard to weep about that. But here's the deepest irony of all. This is what you will enjoy the very most. So NPR spends all of its time attacking privileged white people. Privileged white people, white supremacy. But privileged white people are NPR's core audience. In fact, they're the only people who listen. And we check the audience numbers. Here's what they are. NPR's audience is 84% white. Now, we have no problem with that. We don't hate white people. We're not racist, unlike NPR. But for comparison, that's higher than the numbers at Fox News. Now, NPR is always claiming that Fox News is some kind of white supremacist organization. By the way, Fox News has a significantly larger black and a much larger Hispanic audience than NPR has, both overall and as a percentage of viewers. So who does listen to NPR? Well, you know exactly who listens to NPR. She just honked at you at an intersection for no reason. She was wearing a mask alone in her Subaru. Her picture's on the screen right now. The question is, do people like her really need more than 100 million subsidies every year? Probably not, but then again, maybe so, or who are we to judge? Maybe angry, barren Subaru drivers with as many graduate degrees as they have bumper stickers deserve welfare too. Maybe they're a marginalized community. We're not sure. It is so fucking good. It's just so good. I love those sound bites. DeSantis, I hope he runs with Tim Scott. Watching Chuck Todd's face when truth gets out on a show because he suppresses truth. Molly Hemway is always a rock star. Making fun of Nancy Pelosi. And the NPR thing is just fantastic. So we got time. Let's do a mini woke. Turn it up. Speaking of athletes, here's another one who's a star, Leah Thompson. Last month, the swimmer at the University of Pennsylvania set two different Ivy League records. Her critics are furious, saying she shouldn't even be allowed to compete. That's because Leah Thomas is transgender and at the epicenter of this culture war, you could call it. Tomorrow is her final home meet of the season. She'll face off against Dartmouth and Yale. Both Penn Athletics and the Ivy League have put out statements supporting Leah. But, of course, she is just the latest trans athlete to come under fire. In fact, 10 states have recently passed some kind of bill banning trans athletes from participating in youth sports. You might remember trans runner CeCe Telfer was deemed ineligible to compete at the U.S. Olympic trials over the summer. So let's talk about it now with Joe Yerkeba from NBC Out, who just published this piece with the latest about Leah. Joe, I'm glad to have you, glad to have you here. Talk about what's going on here, right? Um, because Leah does have support from her team, from her school, from her league, if you will. And yet for some of her detractors, that doesn't seem to be enough. 
Sure, yeah. So there are a few different arguments happening here. You've got an argument about fairness. Uh, there are people who oppose trans women competing in women's sports because they say it's unfair to cisgender women who aren't trans, most of whom don't receive the athletic, athletic advantages of higher testosterone levels during puberty. Though then you have folks who say there's very little scientific evidence that shows that those advantages carry over for trans women after transition. So then you've got this argument about fairness and human rights on the other side. And trans Trans advocates say that this question of inclusion is about more than just sports because, you know, we're still seeing these efforts at the state level right. to ban trans people from using the bathrooms of their gender. Uh, so they say this debate is really part of a larger conversation about whether trans people can participate in certain aspects of society at all. Talk about how the NCAA is handling this. Yeah, so the NCAA uh, released a handbook with guidance for trans athletes back in 2011, and it says that trans women must complete one year of testosterone suppression treatment before they can compete on a women's team. And Leah uh, had completed two and a half years by the time she began competing. So the University of Pennsylvania pointed out that, you know, she's exceeded the NCAA protocols here. You, you talked about this is a, a bigger issue sort of systemically in this country. And we said it earlier, there's 10 states that have laws that ban trans youth from participating in some of their sports. Um, you know, this is an issue that I think I've covered in, in my course of reporting here at NBC News and talked to, to young trans athletes. I spoke with one um, just recently. It's troublesome, I think, for some of these families who have kids who want to compete and who are not being allowed to. Right. Yeah, no, definitely. And the legislation is really sweeping. So it applies to public K through 12 schools and colleges. And, you know, some even applies to private schools, too. And these are total bans, um, though their supporters would argue, you know, that they allow trans students to compete on the team of their birth sex. But, you know, like you, you mentioned, uh, trans student athletes, they say that that doesn't really make sense to them um, because for a trans girl, for example, she's a girl in her everyday life and everyone at school knows her as a girl. So this legislation is really troubling for them. Come on. No, come on. Let's go. Let's go. Hey. Hey. Hey, girl. Come on, Jenna. Go. Let's go. Bad girl. Let's go. Keep walking. Keep walking. Nope. There's no difference between men and female. And Tucker's NPR is great because they are starting to eat themselves that you know there's not enough diversity and i've been listening to morning edition and morning politics and my god i can't believe we pay for it but you know before i do the big one that nbc was so proud of to show you we are losing the culture war and as ben shapiro has said and i've said uh, if you've listened to this show for five years in less articulate ways Culture is downstream. It's just downstream of politics. If you win the culture war, you win political. And the left is just hammering the right on the culture war. And this is a real thing. It's real. A Satan club. Hey, kids, let's have fun after school. Satan club. And no, there is no Christian club at that school because you can't have a Christian club. Beginning of the non-binary club, you can have this Satan club. Mm. These are all okie-dokie. And it starts the process. 
And they're not even lying about the process. In this, I'll be posting a clip today from the NASA Network 2021 People of Color Conference. This virtual gathering consisted of 100 teachers, support and training presentations and seminars, almost all of them grounded in the diverse cult ideologies, anti-racism, and CRT. And small activists, big impact, cultivating anti-racism activists in kindergarten, learn to build upon the mindset of kindergarten, making them into social justice warriors. Start with a healthy self-concept, add empathy, then steer it to serve a political agenda. The educational establishment is openly grooming kindergartens to become social justice warriors. This lesson is based on the work of Marxist educator Paul Fiera, critical paleologist Hedry Giro, and critical race theorist Glora Lanson-Billing. Yes, they're using critical race theory to design the curriculum for your kindergarten. And I'm not going to show it because I've shown a million of these fucking things. It is what they do. They know they can groom people to vote Dem. And I've been saving this soundbite for this this report. And I wish I had a news. Here here here's Brian Seltzer. It's in the reliable sources newsletter. Here's a here's a big overly broad question for you, okay? Is the media at this point out of touch with the public about COVID? I, I think it's hard to argue that uh, you know the media is a, a large uh, group of people, but a lot of the media does seem, when I look at it and, and then travel the country, to be very out of touch with people. I mean, if you travel the country, people are not really living in the same uh, bubble that it seems that uh, most of the media is messaging toward. And, right. and so, yeah, and, and so I, I, I think this is an issue because if people are tuning out, uh, what's going on in cable news, if we're not messaging toward uh, the general population, um, you know, they're, they're just, you know, ignoring everything and, and living their lives. Uh, and, and we're not really getting the information that they need to them. It's the same as 2016. The ratings are tanking. They're on the wrong side of COVID history. January 6th, they were the people that says, where does this say that protests have to be peaceful? Well, MSNBC has decided to get rid of Joy Reid. Because she's unsteerable. They can't keep her in line. She keeps saying horrible shit. So who are they going to replace her with? Yeah, Simone Sanders, who's a bigger racist. So MSNBC pretty much sums it up, and that's by design. Because you can't push articles like only 1% of mountain climbers are black, and that means mountain climbing is now racist without racist on TV. And you can't, as you've all seen because it was pushed everywhere, cover USA Today's pedos are great. To show you they don't understand the American people, when they were busted on this, they just put it behind the paywall. <laughs> and then they do an article. Washington Post does an article on Greg Utfeld, which I love his show. It's really good. Risen to the top of Fox News, and that's no joke, Aaron Rupart tweeted, this piece reads like it was written by Fox PR. I'm not going to read you the parts to this because I just want you to know, of course that's a lie. Of course that is a, a complete fucking unimaginable lie it's not even remotely true it never was true 
the fact of the matter is, it starts with him pretty middle of the road to he likes Trump, he's a piece of shit. Then you got LGBT Nation going out to Fox uh, Cruz's fucking kid, and that that's okay. We, we can do that. And then last but not least, Microsoft woke. Now, I've done research on this. You, it isn't turned on, but if you have 365, it will woke your language. If you're using non-binary, if you're using slang, you're, you're wrong. You're just wrong, and they're going to make sure you understand you were wrong, and you're not able to use those words. But since they know the American people are not down with this, they sent it out unactivated. So you have to go in and turn it on. Now, some people say, well, does it really matter? Because when you really break it down... um, at work, you probably want this because of the way the world's going right now. True. There's some truth to that. But when you're trying, as they are, to police the language, police thought, and you're demonizing everybody to be the enemy for not believing and thinking like you, that is the definition a fascist. And then one funny thing. I, I had to put this up. Th- this this shows our society is just fucked up. Masturbation in the showers is a violation of the University of Maryland housing code. The shower drains are not designed to handle spunk. Excessive amounts of spunk in the drains cost thousands of dollars of maintenance, which will be reflected in housing prices. Increase next year in your money. Please masturbate in your own room. So let's do our This is America. It's the worst soundbite of the week for people that are new to the show. And per SOP, it comes from MSDNC. It's time for the worst soundbite. When the liberal media is pushing one of them agenda story and says, This is America. 2021. Coming up this month will be the one year, one, an- one year anniversary of one party rule. And what do we have? We have COVID spiking, closed schools, and a crippled economy. And the Democrats' number one focus is still exactly where they've always been, H.R. 1, to change the election laws, to rig an election, to give them an ability to win when they should not. Some trifling. As the House prepares to return to work tomorrow, wannabe Speaker Kevin McCarthy is making it clear Republicans are ready to fight Democrats over a bedrock of our democracy, equal access to the ballot. Joining me now... California Congresswoman Maxine Waters, chair of the Financial Services Committee. Thank you for joining us. And we know you're wearing sunglasses this morning due to an eye infection, but we are really glad you could be with us. I would love, Congressman, for for your reaction to to your fellow Californian. Well, I have to tell you, just listening to McCarthy, 
uh, I think it is absolutely shameful uh, that he's carrying, you know, Trump's lie. Uh, I think it's absolutely shameful uh, that he's coming on this morning with talking points and under undermining voting rights. You know, the Republicans have often talked about they're more patriotic than anybody else, and they wave the flag. But that same flag that they wave was used to beat up Capitol Police and to almost kill people on the plaza when they invaded our Capitol with that insurrection. McCarthy should be ashamed of himself uh, to say what I just heard. Uh, number one, uh, he's talking about a disaster uh, with COVID uh, that nobody anticipated. And this president, Biden, has done everything possible to ensure we have the testing, we have the vaccinations, that we have the information, that we work with the experts. And he knows that. Uh, but he wants to play politics. And he's afraid of Trump. And the next thing we know, he'll be running down to Florida uh, to get his instructions uh, from Trump so that he can come back and do the messaging uh, that he's made to do. It is absolutely outrageous. Okay. Well, that's uh, Congressman McCarthy. Now, let's, I want to have you listen to uh, someone from the other side of the Capitol, from the Senate, Senator Ted Cruz. He had a time of it this week. Watch. We are approaching a solemn anniversary this week, uh, and it is an anniversary of a violent terrorist attack on the Capitol, where we saw the men and women of law enforcement demonstrate incredible courage. The way I phrased things yesterday, it, it was sloppy, and, and it was frankly dumb. And, I don't and buy that. Whoa, 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 I don't whoa. buy that. For, look, I've known you a long time since before you went to the Senate. You were a Supreme Court contender. You take words as seriously as any man who's ever served in the Senate. And every word you repeated that phrase, I do not believe that you use that accidentally. I just don't. It's, so, Tucker, as a result of my sloppy phrasing, it's caused a lot of people to misunderstand what I meant. <laughs> Congresswoman, sloppy? No, uh, you know, it is again uh, absolutely outrageous uh, for him to come on the air groveling. Uh, the way that he was doing to Tucker Carlson. He, you know, they get their talking points from Fox News, and he absolutely uh, was on television showing that he has no courage, no integrity. And so he grovels, you know, this man has no credibility. We have watched him constantly as he has groveled and as he's played to Trump and he couldn't defend his wife, on and on and on. I don't even know why we pay any attention to him. No credibility. <laughs> Sorry, Congresswoman. Okay, moving right, moving right along. We're gonna jump. We're, we're we're gonna jump. Let's see. We went from California to Texas. Let's go to Florida and Congressman Matt Gates. Have a listen. Seize we're ashamed of nothing. Se seize the day. We're proud of the work that we yes. did on January 6th to That's make right. legitimate arguments about election integrity. We're actually going to go walk the grounds that, that patriotic Americans walked from the White House to the Capitol who had no intent of breaking the law or doing violence. Okay, Congresswoman, have at it. Well, you know, the world watched uh, what happened. 
and for them to try and rewrite history and to tell people don't believe your lying eyes is absolutely outrageous. He'd better be concerned about what's happening to him. He'd better be concerned about, you know, the fact that he's been investigated and there are concerns about him and young girls and on and on and on. Uh, but absolutely, to get in our faces and talk about they had no intent of hurting anybody when we've got five of our Capitol Police who are dead, 150 of them who have been harmed. We absolutely are going to have to resist. We're going to have to fight. And we can't let them get away with it. And I want my party to rise to this occasion and not try and think that somehow we are going to be able to work something out with them. They have defined themselves as liars, people with no integrity, and they are intent on protecting Trump. And they're all afraid of him. They are not representing even their constituents. And so Getz needs to shut up. That is a perfect time to end this part of the, <laughs> part of the program. But Congresswoman Maxine Waters is going to stay with us as we sound off to the other Sunday shows with my panel. Keep it right here. We have a lot of breaking news on the COVID front, including the U.S. Supreme Court siding with the virus today by blocking the Biden administration's rule requiring vaccine mandates for companies employing more than 100 people. But the court said a separate mandate requiring vaccinations for an estimated 20 million health care workers can be enforced. This comes the day President Biden stepped up his response to the Omicron surge, for the Omicron surge, pledging to provide Americans with free tests and masks. He's also sending 120 military medical personnel to six states where hospitals have been overrun by cases. You know, and Neil, I, I have to say, I, I, I don't have faith in the Supreme Court. I think they are ideologues. I think they are right-wing ideologues. I think they are sort of doing sort of a Christian nationalist version of, you know, whatever it is the Supreme Court used to do. But, you know, I, I just look at the numbers. You know, Biden talked today about United Airlines. I mean, the, the administration had made an estimate that it would, that the mandate would result in 22 million people getting vaccinated and prevent 250,000 hospitalizations. The usual six that voted the way we would expect them to vote, the, the, three, the, the six right-wingers. At this point, Neil, have they not just simply stated by their actions that they are more in favor of right-wing politics, the kind of DeSantis-style right-wing politics, than they are in favor of saving lives? They don't really care if, if this causes lots of people to die, clearly. At this point, Neil, it is hard to think of them as anything other than right-wing ideologues. They should all just have right-wing talk radio shows. They are not justices in the great tradition of Supreme Court justices. They're just politicians. They're just added to, as far as I'm concerned, I see nothing about what they're doing that, that, that I can possibly respect. It's, it's sad. So, the mentality of the dissent is really worth noting here. Okay, because we were this close in 2016, this close to complete administrative tyranny in this country. The, the dissent in this case does not attempt to make a constitutional argument. They don't attempt to look at the major questions doctrine or non-delegation doctrine. They simply say that if there is a vaguely worded statute and is tossed over to administrative agencies, those administrative agencies should be able to control every aspect of your life without any interference from the courts. You should not be able to sue because those people are best placed to actually determine the course of your, they're the experts. If we could just toss all governance in the United States to the experts at the administrative agencies, and then the Supreme Court could say, listen, we're not experts. It's up to those experts. Well, what you would have is administrative tyranny. And if not for the justices appointed by President Trump, that would be the way the government is done from here on out in the United States. 
In some areas, it's already pretty close to that. But it would have been full-scale administrative tyranny top-down. You admit you, you elect your administrative tyrant once every four years. A left-wing court strikes down the excesses of right-wing presidents and greenlights all of the excesses of left-wing presidents. And the legislature would become what it has been for quite a while, a vestigial organ of American government. That entire interview with Maxine Waters is a media member just feeding her to dog on Republicans to brainwash people. You're followed by Joy Reid, who's just angry because it gets so angry when they lose. It's almost as bad as when they win. And then Ben Shapiro summing it up, how close we are. Because if you literally listen to what they said, and I played it, and then read their dissent, which I did prior to listening to Ben Shapiro, they do believe our country should not be run by the people you elect. They're not experts. You should just listen to experts, and experts are the people they denote that are experts. Everybody else, shut your fucking mouth and do as you're told. That's how fascist they are. The number one red article on Politico, Representative John Katko spent a year outraging the Trump-supporting wing of the GOP, and yet despite vows with Trump to defeat him this year, he remains in surprisingly strong shape in a moderate dis- district. What is his secret? That was January 6th. The number one, to this day, red article on Politico. Yesterday, a third House Republican who voted for impeach Trump calls a quick New York Governor John Katko just announced he will not seek re-election. I want you to think about that for a second and why I posted on our This Is America as I block my face completely with my slide, which is insanely large now, is the fact that that's New York. For him to get elected in New York, he's got to be liberal. But he can't. Because even in New York, people know That's what happened. You don't have to believe there was voter fraud. You don't have to believe that a bunch of illegal votes got shoved in at 3 o'clock in the morning. You just have to know the whole system worked to get a president elected who is incompetent, who's unable to do the job, who does press hits in front of a fake office off-site, not in the White House, that nobody will explain. You just know that he is no different than anybody else on the left. And he believes if you do not think, speak, articulate, live like him, you're the enemy. And as I've said a million times, I'm not a Republican. Republicans will get, if they do win, say the Republicans win, and they win the House and the Senate in November. They're not going to do anything. They're not going to go out and change all these excesses. Remember, everybody who's in the fucking House and Senate right now with an R behind their name watched while the country burned for a summer. Allowed those people to be released after firebombing, throwing objects. I mean, more officers. Once again, 36 officers killed in the summer of love. None at the Capitol. I think, and I could put up the red pill picture like I've been doing, but I'm trying not to be so repetitive. 
more and more Americans know we're affected by. That's why I played that hit of that old African-American lady. I was scared. It was horrible. They lived and saw it. They lived and saw four years of Trump and the Russians stole the election. And they know emphatically that nothing was right about the 2020 election. It's all gotten out. Facebook running polls, ballot harvesting. They all saw it. And they are smart enough to go 81 million people voted for Biden and 64 million voted for Obama? Really? They're not stupid. But that's why I play the Ben Shapiro soundbite. These people believe you are. They believe they are the smartest people in the world. I've said that a billion times in six years of podcasting. They think they're so much smarter than you that they can tell you how to live your life. And when you don't live your life the way they want to, they are aghast and believe now you're the enemy. You're evil. Jim Crow, Bull Connor, Jesus Christ. Democrats said the speech was too far. But when they can't get their way, when they can't be given unapproachable, uncorrectable power over everything, they just want to rig the system again. Nothing in the voter laws that they're trying to pass and they're going to talk about all week has anything to do with voter suppression If voter suppression was happening, how did 81 million people vote for Biden? How did blacks vote for Biden in record numbers? Oh, and by the way, Trump, record numbers. How? So it's repetitive, but they're the fascists. They're policing speech, thought, what you eat, what you drive, Every facet of your life, they believe they should be able to tell you how to live it and how to do things. And this week was one of the worst as an American I've ever seen. The mandate for doctors is not constitutional. But the very guys that were going to ruin America, Kavanaugh, a serial rapist, voted with Roberts and they gave them that win. But the proof's in the pudding. Nobody believes anybody anymore. It's exactly what I've been saying since the pandemic started, that the scariest part about this is someday we're going to have a real pandemic and there'll be dead people in the fucking street because none of us believe anybody. And that Fauci is still there because this president can't go against his base shows you everything. People don't trust Fauci. Fauci has lied. He's flip-flopped. He said a billion fucking things. But he can't go against his base. He is a slave to his base. That's how you have Garland making up charges for veterans who are 100% disabled. With CNN saying they had cannon and making up bogus conspiracy of sedition charges. Because the base was angry that they haven't been able to shut fucking Republicans up on Twitter. 
As stated, CNN did a whole segment on it all morning for two days. All they could keep saying is, what does this say about Republicans? What does this say about Republicans? It says what Republicans really are the only people that are objective on all this shit. If you look at the record, since they didn't do shit about your protesters burning cities down, killing 36 cops, untold people injured, billions of dollars of damage. They didn't go after them. So why are we going after these people? Why is it so important to prove that there was sedition, that there was literally insurrectionist? Well... You can't build back better. You can't change voting laws. You can't demonize and push a bunch of your opponents off the voter rolls so they can't even run for office unless you can somehow concoct a bunch of bullshit. And since they're the party and the media that spent four years saying that Russia, with $136,000 with the fucking bots, turned an election and got the most qualified candidate ever not elected. Oh. Yeah, it's just normal for them to lie. Everything's a lie. Everything. Democracy is in danger. But it's not in danger from Donald Trump, the QAnon, the Boogaloo Boys, the Oath Keepers, and the 11 people that they're falsely charging for sedition who were unarmed so i still understand how they're getting charged for being armed you can't have sedition without arms but whatever it's a media and a 18 percent of this country who want to destroy the country who want to make us marxist who want to govern every facet of your life with unelected bureaucrats you know the first lady came to Kentucky and Tennessee to visit the people who were affected by the dual tornadoes. And she was talking like she was an elected official, and the local media was making it seem like she was an important person. But like Fauci, Garland, Walensky, American people didn't elect these people. So as much as the left wants to rule you with an expert class, as we started the show, our experts are pretty fucking incompetent. They're unable to govern this country. Because they're all people that have all these theories like CRT and everything's racist and the woke but that the same people that couldn't fix a toilet. And it seems like simple symbolism, but it's true. They might be the smartest motherfuckers in their class at Yale, but they don't know how to apply anything. And they don't know the American people. They don't even know their base. You cannot wink at four years of violence and stand up and talk about how the darkest day in our country was January 6th and have anybody look at you with any authority or respect and go, yeah, you're right. You just can't. 
Because you allowed it. You condoned it. And you financed it. So this wraps up another episode of Flavor Politic Podcast. Please go to FopPodcast.com where you can find Rumble. And you can find SoundCloud linked to all the shows. Going back for six freaking years. It's hard to believe in April. I think it's seven. No. No, it's, yeah, it's seven. We started this journey in 2016. So 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22. Seven years. Last year alone, you glorious people listened to 14,000 listens. That's just insane. And we now have 606 episodes. So, as I struggle to get a consistent podcast schedule, there's plenty out there to listen. Yes, we started episode like 14 or something. And they're not that great because I was doing it on a phone and shit. But they're listenable. And there's many different variations of the show because we did all sorts of fun shit. And now it's just usually a synopsis of the week. I've actually thought about changing the show to the weekend review because that's how it's ended up being. But I thank all of you for listening. It's just amazing. I was just in shock because I got an email from SoundCloud about listens. And I was, I was like, wow, that's pretty awesome. That's a lot of listens for not a lot of whole lot of shows. It was pretty Spartan last year. But we're looking at this week, uh, my next day's off will go the 22nd. 22nd will be the next show, um, unless I can get one during the week because I get up early or I come home instead of watching TV and spend time with the wife, come down and do a podcast. So until then, disconnect from all your devices, research all the lies, don't let them push you with their fascist conduct. To not believe what you know is true. The reality is, Greg Gutfeld says something that's really true. It's going to take all of us, the American people, to end COVID. It's also going to take all of us to end the fucking stupidity that our media thinks they can pull. 90% of CNN viewers have stopped watching. 90%. But they still think they can go down this woke. Eventually, they're all going to wake up and realize we expect objectivity. And when that happens, it will heal the divisions in our country and make politicians understand you can't use a filibuster 309 fucking times and then talk about getting rid of it because you can't get your way. So until then, thank you for listening. And take care.